0: That sound can mean only one thing. That's right. Time for another voyage exploring the past, present, and future of the old Oregon country. Come aboard and get set to ply the waters of the Pacific Northwest, metaphorical and otherwise, on another thrilling episode of Cascade of History. Here's your host, Felix
1: Bennell. I'm Felix Bunnell, and this is a special summertime edition of Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM. On this edition, we talk to the authors of Campfire Stories, Volume 2, Tales from America's National Parks and Trails, Dave and Alyssa Q. They join me by phone to talk about their book and an upcoming tour where they'll be visiting lots of places in the Pacific Northwest to share their stories and have some of their authors in the collection they put together read from their stories as well. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on Cascade of History. Now, the book I have a copy of, it's called Campfire Stories, Volume 2 from Mountaineers Books. Now, this isn't a book about, like, s'mores and how to put together campfire. This is a little more literary, right?
2: Yeah. um, For us, we, you know, we didn't grow up with campfire stories. And therefore, we don't, you know, think of the typical ghost story. Uh, For one, we're wimps. We don't like to scare each other when we're in the dark, camping in the woods. Uh, but too, I think we feel like there's so much more that a campfire story can do. Um, I guess we were always sitting around campfires, visiting national parks, just curious to learn more. And we were always searching for these stories that would teach us a little bit more about the, the flora, the fauna, the people that were, you know, fought to make this place a national park, the people that lived in these national parks before they were parks. We were curious about stories that could do all of that. Um, but not necessarily be historical, something that's entertaining that you'd either want to read aloud around a fire or something that you'd just be so excited to tell someone about, like, hey, do you know that this happened in this park? Um, so for us, those are that's that's what a campfire story can be, and those are the stories we're trying to collect.
1: Got it. Now this campfire stories volume two, were you guys involved with volume one?
3: Yes. Okay. Yeah, volume one project as well.
1: So tell me about the roots of this project in general. How did Volume One come about? What was the where did the, the what was the genesis or the nexus of the idea?
3: Yeah, so we um, you know we were kind of at a point that I like to say we were in a quarter life crisis and looking for something new, something inspiring, um, and we had this sort of seed of an idea. Dave mentioned earlier that. We didn't grow up with camping. We didn't know any campfire stories. And we often found ourselves sitting around a fire quietly, uh, relaxing at night. And we wanted to learn some more about, you know, the places that we traveled to. Um, So we decided, uh, you know, during that time that we would um, pursue this as a project. Um, We didn't know then that it would be centered around national parks. We happen to love national parks. We went on all our trips to, you know, various state parks in California to Olympic National Park even. Um, And it was the centennial year of um, the National Park Service when we were thinking about this. And we just decided to commit to this idea and um, wanted to kind of feel out if people, other people would be interested in it. So we put up a Kickstarter to fundraise for the project and sure enough we um, not only met our goal but we exceeded it which to us uh, gave us an excuse to go travel around the country for, for five months collecting stories for the book.
1: So okay so that's what I like about I like the fact that it's stuff from all over the country in different regions um, mm-hmm. and you guys are you guys aren't based in the northwest right? No, no
3: we're based outside of Philadelphia.
1: Oh, yeah, that's great that's excellent I love that the fact that you don't have to, I mean, the way technology is nowadays, you can be based anywhere. If you're willing to travel around and sort of find a great publisher like Mountaineer's Books to, to do this this book with you guys. Um, in in the different stories that are featured in the book, I know I, I read some of the ones about the Olympic National Park since that's near where I live. Um, is there sort of commonalities that leapt out sort of about the whole culture of these kinds of stories? Or is it sort of, are the stories as diverse as the regions that they're focused on?
3: I mean, I wouldn't say that there's commonalities because they're each place is just so unique. Um, you know, each each park to us, we um, we start to find themes of, you know, certain characteristics, aspects, really important uh, keystones of each park that we want to highlight. And our hope is that the book really sort of captures that diversity of, of place, that specific sense of place in each of the parks.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I know there's um Mountaineers has done some other books like around the Pacific Coast Trail, um sort of like literature that literature to accompany the outdoors. It's kind of a cool I guess this has always been the case, as long as books have been published, whether it was Jack London or whatever, there was a way that there were there were stories and novels that were the perfect thing to take with you out into the woods. Or my favorite part, favorite thing to do with stories like what you guys have put together in this volume is to read it in the wintertime when it's you know it's it's 6 months mm-hmm. away either either direction from camping or anything about a campfire and you can just sort of you know look ahead to the to the coming season or look back to the previous season you got some some great names some really well-known recognizable writers to participate like Terry Tempest Williams and what was it how did you go about getting those people and what was the response you got when you asked different people to participate
2: I mean people like um Terry I think we Terry was um some a writer we identified early on. I guess you know it's not hard to uh, think of Terry Tempest Williams when you think of outdoor writing. Yeah. But Terry specifically for us was someone that we were having a hard time as East Coasters. Uh, we were visiting Zion and just didn't get it. You know we were just <laughs> way too hot. We were there in the in the middle of a heat wave, and I think it was Terry's writing specifically that helped us slow down and start to appreciate uh, what the what, what being of the desert. Um, You know what was magical about that place um so and and then i think we just kind of reached out to anybody who might know terry eventually we (laughs) got got to her and she just gave us her blessing to to use the stories um some of these bigger name authors those are kind of a little easier in that we can just reach out to publishers um and you know just yeah just reach out to publishers and pay a little fee (laughs) in order to use the book i think in volume two We were interested in commissioning news stories Mm -hmm. um, because I guess, yeah, we we wanted to hear from new people. Volume one, you know, the process was so much about us traveling to these places, you know, spending times in archives, you know, these local collections that you don't have nationally. So even though, yeah, you talked about technology allows us to kind of find things more readily, you know, we thought the process of us being able to talk um, and collect stories about these places would need to have us travel to everywhere. Um, so volume one is full of you know, more know more existing stories, um, stuff that you can only find if you're in those areas. But I think what we've realized between, between volume one and volume two is that, you know, the, the, these, that kind of depends on somebody at some point having said, you know these are stories worth collecting. Mm-hmm. And historically that, that privileges a certain type of writer, a certain audience. Um, so I think we, in, in volume two, we were more interested in hearing from a more diverse palette of writers um, in, a, in our in our way to kind of invite more people into the outdoors.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, a couple things. One thing you said that notion of slowing down. and I remember um, visiting Yellowstone about thirty years ago, and you know the roads were choked. It was summertime. It was like there were traffic jams. It was the parking lots were often full, and it felt like it was almost like a I don't know almost quite almost like an urban an urban congestion zone. But if you mm-hmm. parked your car and then took took any hike, like I went to a place called Ferry Falls within five minutes of walking away from the parking lot, you had this place to yourself because <laughs> people mm-hmm. were sort of just driving through to kind of check off the Yellowstone experience. And if you just took a little extra time to actually get out and take a little walk around, you saw far more and you felt more, felt more of that, um, I don't know, that majesty of the park that you don't get if you just, if you just stay on the highway. Um, so I like what you said about slowing down. I think that's really key and this whole notion of sort of literature and like Appreciating a national park at the pace at which you can actually also appreciate literature—it seems to kind of go hand in hand. I think that's a really, it's a really smart combination of things. It makes a lot of sense given how rushed so many things seem to be. Um, yeah, and, and
2: the um one thing you mentioned—the idea of traffic in all parks. One thing, one commonality we found all over the country is that every park has its own version of a wildlife jam. Right. So in cookie towns <laughs> you'll have bear jams because there's like you know the one a, a a small road. The, a single road that gets you through the entire park. And one person sees a bear and they slow down. You see a camera shutter <laughs> stick out the window and all of a sudden traffic's backed up for miles and uh, yeah. Yellowstone bison jams, you know, all, all over all in every park, there's some sort of a wildlife jam that just seems to happen.
1: It's very cool. Yeah. And the whole, also this notion of sort of literature related to park stuff. Like when I was a little kid, I really liked forest service maps and brochures and I would write letters to all the different visitor centers I could get the address for. And, then, you know, six weeks later, I get this big manila envelope full of all these cool maps and brochures and something about that material from the, a lot of, I think, was left over, like, from the 60s, that they were just kind of cleaning off their shelf and sending me what they were trying to get rid of. But the graphic design, the fonts, and the, like, the the scope and scale of some of these big, almost book-like pamphlets about, you know, like, general books about camping or general big pamphlets about hiking or, you know, boating or whatever, they were so... um they had so much resources to devote to creating the material and printing it and probably you know, selling it or, or handing it out for free, I guess. And that, that age is long gone. I mean, you go to most, you have to go buy maps. If you go to REI or someplace, you have to purchase the different guides, guides and everything. But, and of mm-hmm. course, obviously the economics of printing and everything have changed radically with the age of smartphones and all that. So I like that yeah. there's just like, I like the, I like the graphic design, the look of this book, the look and the feel of it is nice. It feels like it's It reminds me of those old sort of Forest Service or National Park Service brochures from the golden age in like the 50s, 60s and 70s. So I think that's it's it's nice. You guys are sort of um, feels like you're you're doing a lot to preserve this notion of this, that there is this link between good literature and appreciating the outdoors in a way that, you know, isn't isn't sort of a natural thing for a lot of people. But it makes sense if the minute you think about it a little bit and especially spend time with a book like Campfire Stories.
3: Yeah, and I, I think one thing that was important to us with the series was providing a little bit of something for everybody in the stories. So, you know, you mentioned there there are a lot of, you know, text out there about place. Um, but you know, a lot of those trailside readers and, and various books that you can find on the shelves um, are for really specific audience or really long and we wanted to provide a type of book that had a pretty wide range of uh, stories. So, you know, we have anything from poems, ballads, short prose, um, you know, we we really have a lot of variety in the book. So I think depending on if you're reading around a fire in your living room or you're reading aloud to the people around you on, uh, you know, a campground, um, there's really something for, for everybody in the
1: book. Yeah, it also reminds me a little bit of some parts of those old um, Depression-era WPA guides that they put put out uh, mm. for each state, particularly Idaho. For whatever reason, the Idaho ones were had a lot more poetry and a lot more sort of literature in them than either the Washington or Oregon versions, if I'm remembering correctly. But you could sort of open it anywhere and start reading and find something interesting. You don't have to start at the beginning. And I, I love a book that you can just—that you can browse and find something and then read it and, and go backward and find something else. I think that that's— that's exactly. Yeah. What, I mean, that's what, that's what appeals to me. Um, now, are there specific things about the Olympic National Park or Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail that you want to highlight that are worth mentioning in the book? For, because our audience on Cascade of History is mostly the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, BC. So are there particular stories that you want to highlight from, from those two geographic areas that are important to our audience?
2: I think um, what we really found interesting about the Olympic chapter is I think something that's embedded into the park itself. I think the park has a very um, deep mystery about its character. You know, Olympic as a park is about, I think 95% of it is protected wilderness under the Wilderness Act, which means, you know, they're not going to, the park can't build new roads uh, to access, get you access into the middle of the park. You know, the road, there's a road around the park, but it's three hours from one side to the other side. It's a big, pretty big park. So there's 95% of this park that you just, you know, you, you would need to kind of strap um, a tent to your back and, and, and wander into. So what we found interesting, what, you know, we were. We, we wrote this book during the pandemic, so we couldn't do the same process where we could travel to the place, spend a couple of weeks, talk to dozens of people and kind of, you know, get our own rubric of like, what's what are the stories what, that we need to tell about this place? So we were discovering the place through the writers that were submitting works to be included. And we just kept finding um, stories about searching. You know, the authors in this, in this chapter are searching for Roosevelt elk, searching for um, the one square inch of silence, um, searching for... Uh, connections to their ancestors by traveling to the same places, searching for all types of different things. And whether they find them or don't find them, you know, they, they find that they are rewarded just in that, in the process of that search.
1: Yeah. And the story about elk, I thought I, there's the part in there that talks about the fact that you can go off the trail in Olympic national park because of its particular designation. I didn't know that before. So it's along with the, you know, the great stories. There's just, there's, there's useful information in there too. So I thought that was, that was one of my favorite stories from that chapter. Um, yeah.
3: We, we didn't know that either we were surprised and we followed up with rosette and we're like are you sure that's okay <laughs>
1: that's we very can, cool uh,
3: yeah. it, you know we had to make sure that was correct so that we could include it um but yeah rosette sent us some official language from the park about it and uh, got us really excited about trying that out sometime
1: that's very cool now you guys are doing a bunch of events um this summer to help get the word out about this book can you tell me what's coming up where people can see you in, over the next several weeks
3: Yeah, so we will be all over the Olympic Peninsula. Um, We will be uh, doing an event uh, at REI in Seattle, in Tacoma at King's Books. We will be heading over to Bellingham and then over to Olympic National Park uh, at Lake Quinault Lodge, Lake Crescent Lodge.
1: That's so uh, those are all great uh, Lake Quinault. Gl- I can, I can. What a great place to do a program at Lake Quinault Lodge. I can see you guys in the in the lobby or the grand, whatever that big room is there. That would be what a cool. That's going to be awesome. It's very cool.
3: Yeah, lucky, lucky us. We get to we're we're joined at a lot of our events by some of the writers. Um, as we we worked with a lot more contemporary writers this time around, so um, we invited folks to come out and do a reading of their piece. And um, Harvest Moon is actually joining us at several events, uh, one of which is at Lake Quinault Lodge, which will be really spectacular. So we're really looking forward to that.
1: That's so cool. It's sort of this, it's not quite post-pandemic, but it kind of pretty much is. And it's nice to be able to know that there's actually events going on where people are out reading, you know, people are gathering and listening to people read, read from books and share books and everything. That's sort of I kind of, you know, that stuff went away for a couple of years. It's sort of it's sort of strange for it to all be coming back, but just so wonderful too. So, is there like a website or something where people can go to get the most up-to-date information in case they're not hearing this this broadcast immediately after we we've talked today?
2: Yeah, you can check out our website campfirestoriesbook.com. Um that'll have the latest information just about volume 1, volume 2. We also have two card decks that are designed to kind of stoke more conversations around the campfire. Uh, and i will also have our full event schedule in uh, Washington, and uh, later this month we'll be in Montana as well. Great.
3: And you can also follow us on Instagram as well if you need a more real-time update on where we will be each day. Um, uh, and to
1: what's and what's that Instagram handle?
3: Campfire Stories Book.
1: Got it. Okay. And oh, one last question. What's well, the division of labor on the on the work you guys do together on this book? I'm curious.
3: Uh, pretty even stevens uh we often we have a pretty good groove in terms of our um writing approach and our styles so dave is very good with historic facts and and numbers and i add the layer of like storytelling narrative and our experiences and we just really kind of sit and blend we tackle different chapters um at the same time and then we kind of essentially trade and put uh, our own special touch to each of them mm-hmm. um and we also work together for each of the stories we um create the, about these stories blurbs that talk a lot about why we included those and same same thing if we have a personal connection or personal interest, we'll just kind of raise our hand to, to focus on one.
2: Yeah, a story doesn't get into the collection until both of us have kind of looked
1: at it. <laughs> and approved
2: it. So a lot of times we're, there, there are some stories that are just like slam dunk, this is in. Um, there are other stories where we're pitching and we're just like, look, you gotta, you gotta reread it. <laughs> you, <laughs> gotta, you gotta understand it a little more. Um, but also, you know, I think um, we do write a, a little bit of an editor's note um, but we try to put that at the end of each story. You know, we want these stories to live and breathe for themselves in the mind of the reader. Um, we want the reader to be a, kind of pick it up and just experience the text um, unadulterated with our opinion. And then at the end end of each text, we try to give a little bit more either facts or just why we something we love about the author or love about the piece. We try to color it with a little more information to kind of show, show the reader why these, you know, these six to seven stories per chapter read together will give you a deeper sense of the essence of
1: all of these places. Very cool. Now, is there a volume three already in the works?
3: Uh, uh, not works, <laughs> but uh, definitely something we're thinking about.
1: Okay. All right. Well, listen. Um, congratulations on Campfire Stories Volume Two, and thanks, Alyssa and Dave Q, for joining us on Cascade of History. Yeah. Hey, thanks, thanks for having so much. us. Thanks for joining me for this special summertime edition of Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM. I'm Felix
0: Bunnell. That sound means the steamer Columbia has reached the end of another thrilling voyage around the Pacific Northwest. Be careful as you go ashore. Watch it. Watch it. That's a slippery spot there. I'll bet that hurt. When that whistle blows once again, be sure to meet us at the landing and be ready to climb aboard a little more carefully next time for Cascade of History. Cascade of History is produced in Seattle by Felix Bonnell.